Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. And the last time we were in Galatians, the title of the message was Going Against the Grain. And it was really cool because the Apostle Paul, he gets saved, God does a mighty work. You know, just like with any of us. I mean, Paul was just a man, he was just a human being. God can use any of us if we say we're willing, he'll definitely do it. So the Apostle Paul, he gets saved, he is immersed into the Christian community and finds that there's some hypocrisy in the Christian community. So when I talked about going against the grain, he went against the grain within the community of believers. He actually opposed the Apostle Peter to his face about something that was very hypocritical and set a bad example. So, uh, and I want to really just stress this, if you didn't get the message to get it, because God may be calling you to go into your community and, you know, maybe there's some hypocrisy, there's an agreement. And God is calling on you to stand up and say, you know what, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. This is not really commensurate with what the Scripture teaches. Um, this morning, the title is Fun with Soteriology. Now, for some, soteriology and fun are kind of like an oxymoron. But I'm hoping to change that perception. The Apostle Paul is going to talk about being saved uh, by grace through faith and not of works. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, the blessing in that. We'll see how he, you know, we're actually going to stumble onto soteriology definition. It's the doctrine of salvation. How do people get saved? So I think you'll find this interesting. A lot of people ask me these questions. Well, what saves us? You know, you can go to different denominations and hear different things. Um, what about in the Old Testament? What saved them? So I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this, and hopefully I can change your perception, those of you who struggle with the deeper things of theology, and, and really try to apply it to our lives. So let's jump in without further ado. Galatians 3, starting with verse 1. He says, <clears throat> now remember, there's context to this. We already covered two chapters. This is one continuous letter. He says, O foolish Galatians, exclamation point, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So verse 1, uh, if you're new to the Bible, or maybe you just haven't read this much of the Bible, you might be asking yourself, well, what did I walk into? It's almost like when you walk into a room and there's an argument going on, and you're like, you have no context. Well, let me try to fill you in a little bit. Now, we talked about the context. We talk about the Celts. Some people say Celts, Celts, both are proper. Uh, we talked about the migration of the Celts, where they went today in modern-day lands, and they were warlike people, they were godless, they were fierce fighters. And the Apostle Paul immerses himself into that Celtic community in the Roman province known as Galatia, and he, he wants them to be saved. They just had a, a passion for the lost. So he spends a lot of time with them, and it's a group of people. A lot of them get saved. And now the false teachers come in, immerse themselves into this community, and they start bringing this false teaching. They say, well, you know, you, you heard that salvation in Christ, that's good, but we have this esoteric teaching that you probably haven't heard of, and uh, we want to add a bunch of things 
to your salvation. Apostle Paul wasn't having that. He looked at these people as his spiritual children. And he was, I use the word incredulous at the fact that, and remember, he's not writing to John Galatian. He's writing to the Galatians. This was a group of people that got caught up in this. And he's concerned for his spiritual children, and so he uses some very strong, albeit appropriate, language. Number one, he says foolish. Going into the Greek lexicon, you guys are foolish. You're sensual of the senses. You're unwise. You're spiritually dull. And he says to them, who has bewitched you? You know, you're fascinated by these things. You're mesmerized. You're enchanted. I look at this, and I've coined the term the Christian wanderlust. And I, and I see just like sometimes with Christians, they go, they're never satisfied. <clears throat> they're never satisfied with their church. They're never satisfied with their experience. And they just constantly wander from church to church, from Christian group to tr- Christian group, from this Christian event to that Christian event. They're always looking, going after the shiny objects. They don't know how to plant roots. They're just all over the map. It's because they have this restlessness inside. And these Galatians should have been satisfied with the truth of the gospel but they they were looking at some of the shiny objects and they were going after that and the apostle paul was trying to shake them out of their spiritual complacency and that's what love does that's what love does actually was it two years ago there was a movie out it was unusual piqued my curiosity we went to see it It was called the giver and I, i get the impression that the person who made the movie was saying this is where we're going in american society we don't say this, we don't say that, we don't raise our voice, there's no feelings, there's no emotion, everybody takes their drugs every day, everybody's catatonic and devoid of emotion. And then when we read the Bible, we say, whoa, is that appropriate? Read Matthew 23, you want to see Jesus get ticked off? John chapter 2 in the temple, when people were making a mockery out of God's house, there's passion in, in the faith. And there needs to be passion in the faith because this determines where people will go for eternity when they die. So the Apostle Paul had this passion. So the first thing what I'm going to kind of go here is and just label these as six different points as we go through the next few chapters. The first argument the Apostle Paul is making, the first five verses, is the personal or the experiential argument. You guys experienced Christ. I know you have. I know that you people have 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 trusted in Jesus, and I know that God is doing a work for you. So he kind of, he works with them based on their experience. How could you turn away from the truth? This makes no sense, right? So he, again, this was a concern for him. Verse 2, he says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, the false teachers, you know, Today it's, back then it was the Judaizers, today it's somebody else, some other false teaching. But basically they were saying, you know, again, you, you, yeah, faith in Christ, good, but let me add this, you know, go back to the rites and the rituals, go back to the, the law and the keeping of the law, and that's not what Christ established. So he asked them this question, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? How does God give the Holy Spirit? By faith in Christ or by the works of the law? We could turn to Romans ten sixteen. Romans ten sixteen. Paul says, But they have not all they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, he makes the argument, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
So how does faith come? You start reading the Bible, you hear a sermon, an evangelist talks to you. Maybe God, and not maybe, this is definitely happening in Iran and a lot of places overseas where the gospel is illegal, where Christ is actually coming to those and, 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 and saving them, right? Through his word, through his appearances. So this is what's going on, Romans 10, 6 through 17. But it's not through the law. Was there ever a time in the Old Testament or the New Testament where anyone received the Holy Spirit by the law? The answer is no. 2 Corinthians 1.22, upon faith in Christ, upon trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, but God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Now people say, I, you know, I'm still struggling with this or that. Well, because we're still in the flesh. We're still in the part of us that's tied to death. So now we have another nature, a spiritual nature, Okay, and we have this redemption, this partial redemption that's put down. Eventually, we'll be physically redeemed as well as spiritually as well, and we won't struggle anymore. We won't have this war within ourselves. Jesus said in John 14, 17, he spoke of the coming Holy Spirit. He said, who was to dwell in you and to dwell with you. So if we're truly saved, it came by faith in Christ, by giving of the Holy Spirit, but it didn't come through the law, and faith is not a work. And we'll get to that, verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the law? So the Apostle Paul, he just was a great skilled debater, but not a debater to win an argument, a debater to get people to think. And that's what we need to do today. We're so afraid of confrontation that somebody disagrees with us. No, that's a good thing. And I think that my faith was built the strongest and I knew the most when I had cultish teachers who lived next to my house in their organization, and they would constantly come to my house. And I knew in my spirit they were wrong, but I couldn't refute them. They just were mind twisters. And I was determined to know the truth. And that strengthened my faith. So don't be afraid of debate. I have people come to me. A lady came a few weeks ago and said I was witnessing, and a man was, got almost very violent with me. And, and this is our conversation. What do you think of it? I said, you did everything right. He just was was very irritated and was not ready to receive what the Lord was, was giving him through you, but you did everything right. So we shouldn't be afraid of confrontation. Sure, we hopefully, listen, if you're witnessing to somebody, hopefully it doesn't come to a fist fight, okay? Let's, you know, we got to know where to draw the line, okay? We're still children of God here, but... Uh, so the Apostle Paul builds on this fallacious gospel that they're believing. He keeps going along with them using logic. He says, basically salvation is of the spirit are you perfecting or maturing it by the flesh makes no sense makes no sense okay jesus that's why it's called the christ completed work on the cross what he did was complete nothing needs to be added to it remember my one of my favorite portions of scripture is in luke with the thief on the cross the guy is crucified along with jesus but the guy actually did something wrong jesus didn't he died for our sins and first he mocks Jesus, if you read the Gospels, and then, you know, I guess when you're on that cross and you're bleeding to death, you start to think things. Well, I'm going to die. Where am I going to go when I die? He starts turning to the Lord, and he has a conversation with him. And Jesus said today, because he believed in Christ, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's a remarkable scripture, because the man didn't have time to come off the cross and get baptized. The Romans wouldn't have allowed it. 
He didn't have time to speak in tongues. He didn't have time to take communion. He didn't have time to do all the things that religion today says you have to do to be saved. But he went to heaven. Jesus said that. You'll be with me. Paradise. Okay? And this is, of course, after he died from crucifixion, so we're talking about eternity. I love that scripture. Scripture answers all the questions that we have. We just have to find it. It's in there. Now, spiritual fruit is a good thing. So I'm a Christian. I'm so happy with what the Lord did with me. I knew what type of person I was before I was saved. And I just appreciate him. So I do things now. They're works. They're not bad, though, because my frame of reference is proper. You see, spiritual fruit is resultant. It's not causative. Right? You got your girl getting that. I heard that. <laughs> it's resultant. It's not causative. Doing things, working Spiritual fruit doesn't come before salvation or add to salvation. It's a result of our salvation experience. Well, sure, I, I love the Ten Commandments. I don't want to kill anybody. I, I really don't want to lie. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And it's not because somebody's making me do it. It's because I want to please my Lord. So as long as we put the things in their proper categories, because some may say, well, are you saying works are bad? Are you saying that Christians could just be couch potato Christians? Really, no. But it's resultant, it's not causative. So as long as we understand that, I have to cram apologetics and everything in here, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, for those that maybe are in religion, you know, it's weird. Today, some people are so loyal to their religion, even more than Jesus Christ. You say something negative about their religion, they flip out. You say something about Jesus, they're like, eh, they're not moved. How weird is that? Religion doesn't propel you into eternity. It's Jesus Christ and the relationship with him that does. It's his eternity, right? He made it, and he has the right to, to say, well, listen, it's, if you want me and what, what comes with me, then it's a package deal. Religion's not going to give us that. Religion's filled with flaws and holes. But the Galatians were trying to use, um, to trying to use these works to build on their maturity or their completion. And that's insulting to God because he, when, when the Apostle Paul speaks about the flesh, he doesn't speak about the soma, right? Somatic, arms, legs, the body. He says the sarks. It's a different word. In the English, it can be either one. But when you go into the Greek, it's different. The flesh, meaning the unaided, right? Abilities that man has outside of God. That's the flesh. That's what we fight, fight with, fight against that brings that competitive spirit i'm better than you look at me i i can memorize more scriptures is it a bad thing no it's great to memorize scriptures but when now i become it's become a competition then it becomes bad it's a work of the flesh it's kind of funny they say about pride or humility once you think you've attained it you've immediately lost it right oh, i'm humble there it goes <laughs> so you know, it's the same thing. We can take a work, a beautiful work, and, and ruin it. can make it messy. Right now, because now I'm better than you. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. The flesh loves religion. Because you can do more. You can be more. You can act more. And that's not what God wants. See, God came. The Lord Jesus came. The expression, the ground at the cross, at the foot of the cross, is all level. That means he's up there, and we're all down here, and we're equal. Some people don't like that. They want to be better. They want to strive higher than the next person. But God says, you're all my children, and I love you equally, right? 
We don't always see that in the world with siblings, but certainly in God's economy, that's the, that's the case. That's the truth. What, what's a work today? Again, I, I, listen, some things are just nonsensical. Nonsensical uh, rites and rituals that religion make up. You know, I think about the supposedly devout, um, maybe the monks or different types of cloistered communities that they, they don't talk and they whip themselves. And it's just weird. It really has no place in Scripture. But there's other works that can be good, like the spiritual fruit that we spoke about. But again, we need to put it in its proper perspective. I remember my mother, um, hope she doesn't mind me saying this, we have a really good relationship, so sure she'll forgive me, but she was a believer a few years, and I was a believer a few years before her, so I had a little bit more maturity, only because of time, and she started studying with this group, and they didn't say who they were, and they, you would go out to their semin- seminars and such, and she went out, and she started saying weird stuff to me, and she was, she's a nurse, loved being a nurse. She goes, I can't work on Saturday anymore. So why can't you work on Saturday? Because this group says that I can't. I'm in sin, and I won't get to heaven. And So I started asking them more questions. I, <laughs> so I said, let me know the next time they're at your house, because I want to be there. <laughs> so, so I went, and I quoted Galatians. I quoted Ephesians. Apostle Paul, new moon, Sabbath, what are you doing? And they follow this new moon, Sabbath. Now listen, there's a lot of really nice people who are Seventh-day Adventists, but their doctrine's a little wacky. It's very legalistic. It takes the Where the spirit of the Lord is, it is freedom and puts you back in chains, religious chains, religious bondage, because now in order to supposedly be a Christian, you have to follow all these rules. And that's not the way the Lord set that up. Verse 4, he says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Have you suffered sacrifice for Christ, experienced things, trials because of Christ? Now you're going to throw it all away. makes no sense. Obviously, if you, could, if you could get saved through the works of the Lord, then Jesus wasted his time coming and dying for our sins. And if that's the case, can, can I tell you something? Listen, you, when we become Christians, we then go home. Then we go to work. Then we go to our social uh, strata. And sometimes you get resistance. Well, what are you, one of those Bible thumpers? Well, you don't want to go out getting bombed with us Friday night anymore? What are you, better than us? So... For us in America, there's religious freedoms. And people may give you a hard time, and you'll probably lose some friends. If you want to be a Christian in Syria and Iraq, it's a death sentence. Because when ISIS comes through your village, they don't care. They don't care about your lovely family. They don't care that you're minding your own business. They will kill you. And we see it constantly on the news. So he's basically saying Galatians, they suffered maybe various things, but... You know, you, the experience you had in Christ and then the experience you had in sacrificing for Christ, you're going to throw that all away? It doesn't make sense. Verse 5, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Works of the law or hearing of faith. So basically, he's basically saying that God is the imparter of, of miracles and the Spirit. Does he do it through the law? Does he do it through faith? Right? Even in the Old Testament, you look in the Old Testament and we see works of the Holy Spirit. We see miracles. We see God empowering people to do amazing things, but he never did it through the law. He did it through his Spirit. Or he just did it outright. Now, again, I'm not saying, and the Apostle Paul's not saying the law is bad. Not saying that works are bad. As a matter of fact, next Sunday, and I hope you can make it, 
we're really going to talk about what the law was designed to do. The Ten Commandments, what does it mean? What's it all for? You're going to have to wait until uh, next Sunday to hear that one, but it's really, really good. Again, you know, if you have a surgeon and he's ready to put you under, and he's already. You're, I, I've been surgeries, man. It's a weird thing. They tie you down, and it's freezing in there, and you're, these, the gowns are always too small, you know what I'm saying? So, and then they count back from 100. I think they just have fun with you. But, um, I mean, if my surgeon's standing there, instead of a scalpel and gauze and iodine, he's standing there with a hammer and a hacksaw. Oh, I'm getting off that table, man. So we, but is a hacksaw good and a hammer for a carpenter? It is. Certainly not for a surgeon unless he's amputating. Me fix. You know, get yourself some references before you uh, go for that appointment. There's tools for everything. All right, works, the law have their place. Talk about that next Sunday. In salvation, they don't have a place. Salvation is a finished work. Who worked? Somebody did. It was Jesus Christ, and he did it on the cross. Amen? So the Galatians were being convinced that they needed something else. And I've heard that even as a new Christian and, you know, going along, hey, you know, you've heard that, and that's great. You go to a Bible-believing church, but we have this, this, this secret. Well, is that what God does? He deals in secrets. He, he wants salvation for everybody. It's open. He wants us to go give it to the world. Verse 6. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and there's a quote there, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. That's interesting because Abraham had a physical line, but let's, let's flesh this out. Um, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. <clears throat> This is the, what I would call, too, the Abrahamic argument coming from Abraham. And it's funny, the, the children, I've heard the, in the children's ministry sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> it's pretty cool, those of you the teachers down there. Uh, and I am one of them, and so are you. I'm not from Abraham's line. But check this out, the Bible's so awesome. There was a spiritual line. There's a line of faith, Right? The Judaizers were relying on their Abrahamic lineage, and some of them were relying heavily on their Mosaic lineage and blotting out the Abrahamic line and the promises through Abraham, and we'll talk about that. I can almost see the Apostle Paul through this argument saying, you want to talk about Abraham? Well, let's go there. I mean, it's just our modern vernacular. Verse 6, Abraham believed God, and, and righteousness was accounted or imputed or credited to him. It's like when you have zero money in your bank and a benefactor just deposits his 10 grand and you wake up the next morning and you're like, wow, I was dirt poor and now I could do stuff. I can continue on with life. Where'd that money come from? So Abraham believed God and through that belief, righteousness was placed in his spiritual bank account. Beautiful. We see this in Genesis 15, 6. We see this repeated in Romans 4.3 all throughout the scripture. It's very important. So here we come to the discussion of soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. How do people get saved? Pastor Joe, I just came into this church for the first time. Bottom line, I want to know for me, how am I going to heaven? And I'm just curious, how they go to heaven back in the Old Testament? 
And how they're going to go to heaven after me, and such and such. So basically what happens is, and here's the funny thing, because in John 8, 56, Jesus tells the religious leaders, now this is anachronistic, this is out of time, Jesus tells the religious leaders, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced to see it. Now there's a big gap between Jesus and Abraham. And the, the religious leaders are like, you're, you're not even 40 years old, how did you see Abraham? Well, Abraham saw what Christ did, and when Christ died on the cross, he was able to allow Abraham and the people with him, the, the Old Testament saints, to get to heaven. So in other words, it's almost like a retroactive work here. And, and in Luke 16, if, if you want to check it out, um, I covered that in, in great detail. Jesus speaks about the afterlife, and he speaks about the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man, not because he was rich, but because he was very self-centered, he was not towards God. So Lazarus, is, he's got sores, he's hungry, the dogs are licking his sores. It's a really p pitiful sight. Rich man dies, La Lazarus dies, and basically they, they go to different places. The rich man goes into a place of torment, it's hot, he's thirsty, and there's this chasm where they can kind of see each other, but, and they can talk to each other, but they can't experience the same things. This, this Hades and this dual compartment, the other compartment was what's either referred to the other part of Hades or Abraham's bosom. And Abraham's there and all these great saints. Lazarus is there, okay? So those who died and believed in God, who died in faith, that righteousness was imputed to them. And one of those beliefs was that the Messiah would come. And then the Messiah did come and die for their sins and it all comes together. And that group, Jesus first descended before he ascended, descended into the lower parts of the earth. He frees those from Hades. So of course Abraham rejoiced because from his line came to Messiah, fully God, fully man, died for Abraham's sins. When that happened, Abraham and Lazarus and all them were in a good place, but now they go to an even better place where they can be in God's presence forever. So it's, it's crucial. It's, it's crucial. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen, God says to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham, because you obeyed my voice. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Now, how do people get saved today? So this is the Old Testament. Then there's Christ. Old Testament saints go to be with heaven. From that point on, Christ, those that believe in him and trust in his sacrifice for sins, they're saved as well. That's how I got saved. That's how many of you get saved. And there's really only one way to get saved, and that's the way. Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So guess what? Abraham had an imputation, a credit of righteousness to his spiritual account. And in the New Testament, believing in Christ, the imputation of righteousness, justification, is also imputed into our account by believing what Jesus did. What's, what's the common denominator? What's the nexus point? What's the grounding rod? Is righteousness. See, God... I'm good with this. I've read the whole Bible, so I'm convinced. I get it. I dig it. I have no issue with it. God is perfect. God is holy. And, you know, for lack of a better uh, expression, God's not going to allow mankind to mess up his world as we've messed up our world. And we've messed up our world because of sin. So in order to be in the presence of God, you've got to be righteous. You've got to be perfect. That's impossible for a human being. So Jesus came and fixed that problem. Yeah, so it's pretty neat, isn't it? Verse 7, <clears throat> Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. 
the religious leaders of Jesus' day could trace their line back to important people. Abraham, Moses, um, different people. And they said, well, that's what we're putting our stock in. And Jesus says, you can't do that. Now remember, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel left Egypt and were going into the promised land, God cursed some of them and struck them down. They died in the desert because of uh, severe rebelliousness and, and evil. Uh, so did they go to heaven? No. But they were from that biological line. It means nothing. And let me just make that uh, comparison today. I grew up in a Christian home, therefore I'm saved. doesn't hold water. If you're relying on that, you're going to have a real problem. So I'm here to tell you in love, before you die, that you need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. It needs to be a personal relationship. I had a pastor mentor have one, a friend of mine, and we were discussing some scripture, and he said, he says, Joe, we're really good, even in Calvary Chapel, of teaching our kids about God, but I think we lack sometimes in teaching them how to love God. That was profound. The devil knows about God. I guarantee he memorizes, knows more scripture than we do because he puts it in our face and twists it. He tried to do that to Jesus when he was on the earth. Okay? He knows plenty of scripture. He knows about God. That's not enough. Jesus said to love God with all your mind, your soul, your strength, your being, your heart. And that's something that, listen, love is a choice. It's something that we do or we don't do. We don't get to heaven by growing up in a Christian home. The Jews in the Old Testament didn't get to heaven by being from the line of so-and-so. Okay, it also had to be personal. Uh, Jesus in John 8 and Paul in Romans 9 debunked that. Okay, verse 8 and 9. He says, In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in, in you all the nations shall be blessed. We see that in Genesis 12, 3. And again, we see that in Genesis 22, 18. Genesis 12, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 22, 18, he goes even deeper. He goes through your seed, through your, your progeny, through your down the line, down the line. And Jesus could trace his lineage back to Abraham and, and beyond because we see the genealogies in the, in the Gospels. Pretty impressive stuff. So the promise of the Messiah to the Gentiles. Um, I'll just read it. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'll just go with 3. He says, uh, the Lord says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis twenty-two eighteen. You know, it's amazing. Um, sometimes I say, yeah, I'd really like the five-year plan from God. You know, I like to plan. I'm a planner. But then I say to Heather, could you imagine if he told us the road that we were going to take in ministry and being a pastor, I probably would have run. So it's kind of cool that God gives you a little bit at a time. You know, we, we as human beings can only take so much at a time because we're flesh. What? You're going to you're fundamentally change my life and my spare time and where my money goes? <laughs> well, so God gives us, even Abraham was a great guy, but he still made mistakes. He gave him a little bit at a time. 22.18, he says, in your seed... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my, my voice. So it's belief and obedience. What good is belief if we don't obey? Yeah, yeah, I know the Bible. I don't follow any of it. I just know it. It's, 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 not, you know, it's not good. I just want to kind of, let's see, Romans 11 actually speaks about the, the uh, olive branch, the olive tree of Israel, and then the Gentiles as the wild olive tree being grafted into the 
original, you know, nation of Israel, you know, the seed of Abraham, etc. Pretty fascinating. Um, one caveat here, there, and I have to address this from the pulpit. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, but there's just a lot of false teachings. There's a lot of name callings out there. So if you say, well, yeah, I come to a, ch- to a church and, and we, we support Israel. What are you, a Zionist? You ever hear that? It's out there. Right away, they, they want to throw and slap a label on you. Now, as Christians, do we believe that everything that the godless leadership of Israel today does is right? No. Is there a future for Israel? Yes. (laughs) I'm not going to say, oh yeah, you know, all those leaders of Israel, they're such God, they're not godly men. A lot of what they do is is based on fear. And you can understand that if you were a godless person and you were surrounded by people who wanted to kill you, you'd react out of fear. So in Calvary Chapel, I can speak for myself in this church, we, we do support Israel. God is not done with that nation. They will come wholesale and believe in the Messiah. And that's going to be an awesome thing if we get to see it. Does it mean that everything they do today, every battle, every skirmish, every rocket is right? The answer is no. I can't put my, my, my weight behind that. As much as I can't put my weight behind everything that happens in the United States is right. Do we have godly leadership? More and more, it seems less and less. But, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to the United States. She's really not mentioned in end times prophecy, but I know Israel is. I love my country. I support the Constitution. I'm just really, it's really questionable about those in both parties, what they're doing to our country these days. Okay, so now let me rein it back in here. (laughs) Okay, I actually had a a family that left the church and they um, have a problem with the Israel thing. Listen, I can only explain what the Bible says. I can only explain what we believe. If that's your choice, that's your choice. I'm sorry to see you go. You're great people. But listen, I got to do what the Bible calls me to do. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry, <laughs> but that's what I have to do. All right, continuing on. <laughs> Verse 10, last few verses for the morning. For as many as, under, as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So he's going back to Deuteronomy 27, the Apostle Paul. When you see italicized in a study Bible, it means that Um, And the Apostle Paul does a beautiful job of going back into the Old Testament to make his point. Who is he dealing with? People that are really practically worshiping the law. So he goes back to the law to make his point. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Faith. I would almost title this section, Be careful what you wish for. As if the Apostle Paul was saying, You really want to be justified by the law? Let's go back to what the law says. Because I don't think you want to be justified by the law. What does it mean? Well, Deuteronomy 27, 26 means you must keep every point of the law, otherwise you're cursed. Again, next Sunday we're going to talk about the good thing that the law did, but the one thing it didn't do was save us. It can't save. It was not designed for that. Okay, so I've actually asked somebody to help me out, to come out of retirement, and do a little demonstration with me. 
I don't know if you recognize this guy, but he used to work in the entertainment industry. Um, his name is Luigi. <laughs> if you're under 50, you know who he is. Uh, so Luigi played a lot of video games in life and was pretty good at them and decides to retire. Mario's still doing it, I, I hear. But Luigi over here has decided to do an illustration with me and for me. So he figures, listen, I'm in retirement. I'm getting closer to the, the big one. You know, nobody lasts forever. And uh, I want to know that when I, go to, when I die, that I'm going to go to heaven. So Luigi and I have a little bit of a disagreement. See, what he wants to do is he wants to keep the law. So I've used this illustration of a chain. It's a pretty amazing chain. This chain has pulled cars out of the snow. Amazing how strong chains are. Every link is welded together. It's quality controlled. Um, and the funny thing about a chain is it's contiguous. There's no redundancy. There's no parallel chains. And what happens is if you have a weak link in the chain, it destroys the whole chain. So all these other chains could be really strong. This one's weak and breaks. Car's still stuck in the snow. Luigi over here, I, I liken the chain and the links, each link to a, a piece of the law. Now, if this was really the Old Testament law, I wouldn't be able to hold this up. I'd have to put it up to the ceiling. That's how many laws there are in the Old Testament. Well over 600 of them. The chain actually might go up, well, twice the size of this building. But Luigi here is determined to keep the law. See, Luigi is hanging over the precipice of judgment, which is not a good place to be, but that's where all flesh is, all people are. We're born physically, but we need to be born spiritually to be born again of the Spirit of God. Otherwise, like Luigi, you're hanging over the precipice of judgment. And each chain, Luigi thinks he's going to get up each chain and get to the top and say, okay, God, I'm here. I did it all, and uh, I'm ready to come into your heaven. The only problem is embedded in the law are safeguards against doing this. And one of them is in Deuteronomy, which we already read. So all Luigi has to do is get up to five links, 10 links, 20 links, 100 links. When he does not keep one piece of the law, he is done. It's over for Luigi. I submit to you that knowing this, just by chrono chronology's sake and timelines, I was condemned very young. I broke one of those laws many years ago. I wouldn't, maybe wouldn't share my toy with my sister. Maybe I hit my sister as a little kid, and I broke the law a long time ago. So guess what? The law can't bring me to heaven. Right? Pretty interesting stuff. So I don't want to try that for a day. Verse 11. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. This was quoted directly. You've got to love it when Scripture repeats itself in many places. It's something to pay attention to. Very short verse. The just shall live by faith. This is in Romans 1.17. This is in Habakkuk 2.4. This is in Galatians 3. This actually, Martin Luther was a, a Catholic monk, saw the excesses of the church, saw all this legalistic stuff being put in. For pe people didn't know how to get saved. It was like a board game. Do this, don't do that. If you do that, venial, mortal, you've got to go back a few spaces, give money, go forward again, do indulgences. If you're wealthy, you can pay more for your sins, and the church will absolve you of your sins. Go to confession. So I, I'm just, this guy was Catholic. I'm just going by what his testimony was, and many like him. Uh, and he started the Reformation based on this scripture. He started reading the Bible, and he goes, you mean it's this simple, and I'm being taught all this? And this was the spark that led the Reformation. A lot of people died in the Reformation. 
but he didn't want to play the board game anymore. He wanted to know how he could be saved. And the Bible told him, the just shall live by their faith. New Testament, Old Testament, to believe is to be imputed and credited righteousness, and then we have a right standing before God. Verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith. They're very different, designed for very different things. But the man who does them shall live by them. The law is not of faith. Law and faith are mutually exclusive. There are two routes a person can go with their spirituality. Number one, they can attempt to keep the law, and if they don't, according to the law, it brings a curse. I don't want to do that. The second way is to live by faith. God honors that, and he blesses the faithful. The, right? the just will live by their faith. That blink brings a blessing. I just want you to know the type of person I am. I'm like electricity, and I'm like water. I like to take the path of least resistance. I'm not going to try door number one. I'm going for door number two. It's a lot better deal. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, everyone who does not keep every point of the law is cursed. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, anyone hanged on a tree is cursed. So Jesus was doubly cursed. For his fault, his sins, absolutely not. Daniel 9 tells us that. He was cut off, but not for himself, because of us, because of our sin. So number one, how? He took the place of judgment and substitution because we couldn't keep the law. First, uh, Deuteronomy 27. He could keep the law. He fulfilled the law. Two, Jesus hung on the tree uh, on that cross, right? You know, you see today, these crosses are so beautiful. They're like polished metal, and they shine. You can see a reflection in them. The crosses used in the Roman Empire were gnarly pieces of tree. And they would crucify one person and take them down. Oh, let's get a, a nice clean tree for the next guy. No. They put the next guy on there and dozens of people would be crucified in a week's time and the tree would, it would be devoid of life, devoid of leaves. It would be, the bark would be peeling off of it. People's blood would be splattered on it. Okay? This was reality in Roman crucifixion. So it wasn't pretty. But he died for our sins, right? He was the Passover lamb. God's judgment passed over him that we could have eternal life. A lot of, a lot of um, images here. In essence, I like to say this, we've become identity thieves. Right? You see this a lot, okay, today, and, and the cameras catch the person, and that's not Jane. That looks like a dude, you know? <laughs> he took Jane's identity. Well, we on the cross, took Christ's identity and he took ours. Somebody has to pay for sin. Christ paid for my sin and yours. Okay? But when God sees me, he sees Christ because I've trusted in Jesus. Doesn't recall anything to me. If you hear in, the, in your quiet time that you're worthless and you're a sinner and you're a failure and you shouldn't be in that church because of this, this, and this, that's not God's voice. And as you grow in Christ, you'll learn... His voice, God's voice from the enemy's voice. That's the enemy's voice. God doesn't do that to you. Because if you trust in Christ, that's all God. He doesn't bring it up to you anymore. People do, but God doesn't. It's called a substitutionary death. And verse 13, he speaks about being redeemed. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So many images here. I know it's a lot. You may have to listen to it maybe another time. But redeemed means to ransom or to rescue there was, sometimes we become so Americentric and think that things only happen in America. Slavery 
was huge in the Roman Empire. Slavery was huge economically, and at one point, half of the population were slaves. That's horrible. However, there were some good people who would buy slaves, pay the price to free them, or pay the price and adopt them into their family with all the benefits of the family. So who would do that? What an awesome thing. You know that? In the United States, Christians were the biggest abolitionists against slavery, and Christians did this too. They bought slaves from the slave market as much as they could, and they took care of them, and they adopted them into their family. So Jesus redeemed us from the slave market of sin. See, one thing about actual slavery is you know it's a horrible condition. Sometimes people don't realize that sin so enslaves them that it's going to condemn them. And they go through their life, and they're making money, and they're getting married, and they're doing all these things. And they think life is just ducky. But they don't realize that they're slaves to their own sin. Jesus came to redeem us, to buy us with his blood, and set us free. And here, the false teachers want to bring the Galatians back into a bondage, except now it's a a religious bondage. We replace one set of fetters for another set of fetters. And Paul's like saying, no way. Not if I have anything to say about it. Last verse. He says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, not the law. Right? It's a pretty good thing. So let me ask you a question. Call it out. I'm going to, because I like to keep, you can't fall asleep in this church. I'm either shouting or rattling chains or... Sometimes I'll throw something at somebody who might be sleeping if they're close enough. But basically, now I want you to call out. So I'm going to leave you with two verses. Can you name the book and the chapter? Go ahead, just call it out that I'm going to end with. Faith, works, grace, salvation. Anybody? Very good. A lot of you got it. So we're going we're gonna, to, all right, goodbye. Have a nice day. No, I, <laughs> let's, let's do this. Let's go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. This is two verses that pack such a punch. I mean, it's a theology class in itself. The Apostle Paul says, for by grace, Pastor Sam preached about grace last Sunday. I heard his message. Grace even sounds beautiful, but its effects are even more beautiful. Beautiful, For by grace, you and I, we have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're sinners. We're hopeless. We can't. Poor Luigi. He's on the floor there. He can't keep the law. We can't keep the law. Jesus even said, you think you can keep the Ten Commandments? Try to do it in your heart. If you think about it, you've broken it. We can't even keep Ten Commandments because we're such depraved sinners. However, by grace we have been saved. Christ came and he died for our sins. Didn't ask for anything first. He first put out that olive branch. The grace of God. He pardoned our sins. He redeemed us from the slave market of sin. It was a substitutionary death. You can go use all these big theological terms, but the bottom line is God loved us so much that he showed us grace. Now, how are we saved? By grace through faith. Well, what's faith? Faith is driving the bus. 
faith is driving the, the grace. It's, it's hey, got a, you know, listen, I, I like ordering stuff online and FedEx shows up or UPS and it's so cool getting stuff from like mail order. But this is the best. Faith is the vehicle. So when we believe and trust in Christ and what he did, then that's when the grace is opened up to us. Is faith a work? No. Because it says here, it's not of ourselves. It's not a work. The hyper-Calvinist guess it's all messed up. They think faith is a work, so we have to be regenerated first, and they throw the order off to everything. God's grace comes to our faith. Faith is not a work. It's a, a turning to God. And oftentimes, God woos us and draws us first through his word, evangelists, and other things. Grace, you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. That's the key. It is the gift of God. Try this sometime. Somebody gives you a really nice gift, take out $20 and give it to them. See if they don't get insulted. God's gift is priceless. Somebody gave you something from the Louvre, you know, and say, here you go. One, a priceless painting. Here's 20 bucks for it. That is an insult. The grace of God, salvation, is a gift. He says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that's the key. We're all in the same playing field. Right now, I'm elevated from you by about five feet. But spiritually, I'm no different than any of you in this room. And that's the beauty of, of salvation. Works-based religion is, is, I've been there, it's bondage. It's, it's difficult, it's frustrating, it's fear-producing, it's bondage. Right? You see, when I think about a... a, a a caterpillar and they go through the pupa stage and the, the chrysalis and this beautiful golden molten hard shell and eventually they come out as a butterfly and they're flying all around. I've never met a butterfly that desired to go back to crawling on the floor and, and dodging people's feet. I've, ne I've never met a caterpillar. Once they get to perfection, you don't go back. See, once you're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of yourself, and you can just glory in God's goodness and love. You don't go back to the law. You don't go back to adding to your salvation. Don't let anybody tell you that. I don't care who he or she is. I'll leave you with this, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. What's the motivation? God's love. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You believe that. You take that to your spiritual bank and that will pay eternal dividends. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road, in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.